0: Today's episode is made possible by the generous support of Charon Law Offices. Located in the heart of downtown Pittsburgh, Steve Charon and his team work with startup companies offering a full range of legal services. No matter what stage your startup is in, the team at Charon Law Offices can help you. From structuring to developing stock option plans to assisting with fundraising arrangements, Charon Law Offices can guide you through the process. For more information, email steve at charonlawoffices.com or call 412-880-5633. Visit their website at charonlawoffices.com for more information. Charon Law Offices, from startup to exit and everything in between. You can follow us on Twitter at BroadcastPGH and find us on Facebook at the underscore PGH and Instagram at the broadcast underscore PGH. Our website is broadcast-podcast.com where you can find all of our past episodes. If you want to support the show, you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash broadcastpgh. If you'd like to sponsor or otherwise partner with the show, we'd love to talk to you. Drop us a line at broadcastpgh at gmail.com. Welcome to another episode of the broadcast podcast. It's a cold one today outside the studio in Beachview, beautiful Beachview. And it's funny because we're right across the street. From um, the open air grill where they get started really early in the morning, and the guy is out there cooking on the grill with no sleeves on, and we're just so impressed. Like Pam and I were like, "How?" <laughs> my ears were going to fall off. They he were. Doesn't so cool. have
1: gloves on. His arms are exposed. Yeah. I get it gets hot. But yeah. It's a public service though. It, it smells amazing. Oh my it god! It does. Yeah. So good. So good. Ooh, so, it's so first p- when he goes out, Ooh.
0: Pam and Jan, we're all in the studio today. We are. It's, fun. it's exciting. Yeah. Thanks for Very being. Exciting. Here. Um, Pam, this is a guest that you brought to us, so I would love mm-hmm. for you to introduce her and tell us all about And then we're going to just throw questions at her and, yeah. and uh, find Don't out what makes her tick.
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, so much appreciation to Ms. Kinsey Casey for joining us today, who is the Chief Operations Officer for the City of Pittsburgh. Welcome. Thank, thank you. for you. joining us. Happy to be here. So, Kinsey and I have known each other for a few years friends, social circles uh, outside of work, and was very excited when Kinsey uh, moved back to Pittsburgh, what was it, I guess, six months ago or so, sometime in the summer. Really excited to, to figure out where she lands, and Kinsey has such an interesting path professionally, and so why don't we start there? Where, what have you done? Where have you been? What led you to taking such a, an important role for our great city? Oh,
2: well, I'll give you the short version because the actual version goes on forever. Um, But I, right out of college, you know, thought I wanted to work on a campaign. Um, There happened to be a competitive Senate race in the great state of New Hampshire, which seemed like a good place to go to when you're interested in presidential politics. So I ended up working for Jean Shaheen when she was the governor running for Senate. We lost that race. It was crushing. That was the first big race I'd worked on that we had lost. And it was my first paid job on a campaign, but I loved it. Um, I was a field organizer. And from there, I did a bunch of different campaigns. And of course, because I had New Hampshire experience, um, the next cycle, which was in 2004, was obviously a presidential cycle. And so, um, you know, I talked to all the presidential campaigns and went back up to New Hampshire. For a presidential campaign, and from there, you know, moved on to the general election. Traveled around the country to all the battleground states, which was which was really fun. That one, it was fun. We lost. I mean, we lost again in two thousand and four. Obviously, I worked um, first for John Edwards and then for uh, John Kerry, um, and of course, John Edwards was his vice presidential. Um, he was on the ticket. So I after after we lost that, I moved back to New York because I had gone to school there. I worked on um, a couple of campaigns, uh, mayor's race, uh, you know, I worked for a neighborhood organization.
0: Was it like a common thread, like you you were drawn to candidates because they did X or because they were so passionate about, or you just really wanted to be kind of in the mix?
2: No. I mean, I think if you're going to work on a campaign, it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. It's seven days a week. Yeah, um, And living out of a suitcase. Exactly. You live out of a suitcase. And so you really have to be passionate about who you're working for. Yeah. And there's a couple of things that really matter to me. I have to care about what they stand for, yeah. right? Um, I have to agree with them on issues. But a lot of it is how the candidate treats their staff and the staff, because those are the people you're spending your life with, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually worked for John Edwards because uh, in 2003 and four, the person that was running his campaign was this amazing Amazing person who's been a longtime mentor of mine um, since then, mm-hmm. and I chose to work for Edwards because he was so supportive and wonderful to me personally mm-hmm. as like yeah. a very junior field staffer. The campaign manager was very supportive of all of us, and that's actually why I ended up working for John Edwards. Yeah, because of uh, because of Nick. No. Yeah, and I also agreed with John, Edwards' politics, and yeah. I I worked for him again, and we can go back to or forward, <laughs> I guess, to two thousand and eight. I did work for him in two thousand seven eight. I left that campaign. For reasons that are now very obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I left that campaign and then ended up going to Denver to work on the convention. Yeah. Wow. Which was really fun.
0: Yeah. So I was just going to say, working on a campaign, like I think people don't really have a, a how much you are have to basically give up your life to to focus on the campaign and just become like one with the candidate. So if you were going to, if someone wants to get into politics and wants to get into helping political campaigns, like. What – you took the path of going to New Hampshire and getting really just right in the thick of it. What's the way to do it for someone who is idealistic, is an experience? like What's the experience you really need to have under your belt if you want to get into political campaigns? Because I feel like there's so many people that want to do it but maybe don't know where's the jumping off point. Where do you start?
2: Sure. I mean – I think you have to be passionate about who you're working for, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Um that's what really drives you and if you want to do it, I don't know that there's any right path of experience. Any I actually think paths. having lots of different experiences yeah. mm-hmm. are very useful in that case. Mm-hmm. Um, because you bring a different perspective to the campaign. It is all-consuming, though. I don't know a single campaign that's sort of like, yeah, I do it 9 to 5, like right. Monday through Friday. <laughs> right. I just, like, I've never yeah. heard of that before. Or maybe yeah. there's in some weird world
1: that exists. But. I kind of
2: think not.
0: Yeah, especially with the 24-hour news cycle now. Exactly. You have to be constantly, constantly
1: on. And mm-hmm. you brought other experience into your campaign work. You'd worked for nonprofits and other organizations in, in the years between the different campaigns. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure.
2: Yeah, I worked, uh, I actually worked for a political consulting firm. So my mentor, Nick Baldick, who was running the campaign started his own political consulting firm. And I worked for him when it was very small. There were six of us in a tiny office in Georgetown. Um, now he has offices in, I I don't know, like 25 States or something crazy. Uh, so I worked for a consulting firm, which, you know, we had both corporate clients and political clients. So Mm -hmm. I got to see sort of both sides of, of that. Um, I also worked for nonprofits, um, I worked for a neighborhood group in in Manhattan that was fighting a stadium they were going to build on the west side. So I got to work with a bunch of housing organizations um, on that campaign as well. It was a campaign of sorts, I guess. And then most recently, I uh, was the chief of staff for Emerge America, which is a uh, national nonprofit that recruits and trains Democratic women to run for office.
0: Yeah. And so that's a very big push right now to get more female candidates. She should run and emerge type candidates on the podcast in the past. And they all kind of come to it. You know, from different points of view, and but also with a driving. Once there's one thing that's really driving them, whether it's you know opioid crisis or whether it's housing or whether it's you know income inequality. There's there's so many issues just driving women right now to get them into the field and just get them like trained to feel like they can handle it. Because what we have heard from them is, you know, I'm nervous about the negative uh, campaigning that might happen against me. And so, in this current political climate, like how How do women candidates, uh, do you feel like they're getting past that? Do you feel like that's still a a real concern? Does that preclude maybe some qualified women from throwing their hat in the ring and running for office?
2: I don't know. If you look at our presidential field at the moment, we still have two <laughs> right very strong women yeah. um, who are in the race. Mm-hmm. Um, and sure, I, I mean, we can't deny that that plays into how their races are going. But, you know, even watching Elizabeth Warren, who did not do as well as expected in New Hampshire, give a shout out to Amy Klobuchar mm-hmm. and say, you know, like, don't count no us power. out just yeah. because we're, a, a, we're women was like it was ve- I thought that was very empowering. powerful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's like that. The stat of women have to be asked how many times, right? To be able to, to like even start thinking about running. I think I was just talking to like Sarah and Murado about this. Yeah. So how do you how do you communicate that to women? Like how do you when you are working at Emerge, how do you get women to run? Yeah. Well, obviously we think women make very good lawmakers. And as you can see, you know, women just dep- And you know, I mean, we're all ladies, you approach things very differently Mm -hmm. from a woman's perspective than from a man's perspective. And that means we often are more willing to compromise, to have a discussion about it. Um, We're going to hold our ground, but we're willing to talk. Um, That's a big generalization, right? But working at Emerge, you see the difference that women can make. Um, And it is also true that it takes a lot of courage for a woman to run. There is that statistic mm-hmm, that you, mm-hmm. a woman has to be asked seven times. Seven actually. times, I was going to say, yeah. Uh, we can't really figure out where that statistic comes from, so <laughs> it's imaginary. It's, it's <laughs> maybe a made-up statistic, but um, but it's true. I mean, you have to have a lot of courage to do it, and particularly in this climate, I think, when things have gotten so negative, um, and frankly, you know, have been brought down to like a. Middle school level, right? Like, yeah, trading
0: it, insults on Twitter and yeah, like
2: that. Yeah, it makes it even more difficult, I think, to encourage women to run for office because they know, you know, we have we have a different feeling about how that impacts us. Um So.
1: So I want to make sure we fill in a gap here, right? Before Emerge. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, yeah. you- <laughs> what was the election? Yeah. Was, yeah. was, so was merge, election before Emerge. Before Emerge. And you also served as the Deputy Chief of Staff at the University of Pittsburgh. I don't want to brush over that quickly. But uh, prior to that and after the convention in 2004, there was a pretty big thing that you did. And I think – from my perspective, kind of just from the outside and and from our you know conversations it 's really something that is informing your current role and is really really is something that set you up for success in what you're what you're doing now. so maybe we could talk about that big thing and then we could talk about the new big thing sure
2: so we in two thousand and eight, I worked on the convention and then I rolled over to do this thing called Advance for the Obama campaign uh, for the last couple of months, and we actually won that election, as you might recall in two thousand and eight Barack Obama stunned everyone and won the nation, won the campaign, um, which was amazing. And, you know, given that I had spent a co- like a couple cycles working um, on these races, like an amazing thing to happen. Um, so, you know, everyone's like, we're moving to DC. Um, and I was lucky enough to get uh, a position at the Department of Homeland Security, working for Janet Napolitano in the administration, um, which was one of the most fun jobs I have ever
0: I was had. Gonna say That sounds amazing. Like, is it really like the show West Wing, like, working in the White House? Because I think people have this sort of idealized image of what it must be like to work there. Like, what is it day-to-day just to, like, walk into the White House? And, you know, it's just my job. I'm just going to work. Just job. <laughs>
2: well, so – because I started out at an agency, right? So I started at the Department of Homeland Security. And then I spent um, about two years, a little less than two years, at the White House and then uh, spent two years at the State Department. Um, and, yes, like, walking into the White House – Especially on my first day, I don't actually know that I've ever told this story. I was—we're work- happy to be the first. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I was working in the Office of Presidential Personnel, which handles the political appointments, um, and I handled the political appointments for the national security-related agencies. Um, so it's you know it's basically uh, finding highly qualified, diverse candidates to work in the federal government yeah. in these politically appointed positions. There aren't that many of them, actually. Mm-hmm. And my very first day I walked in, I mean, I even remember going in for the interview. I'd never set foot in the, we call it the EEOB, the Eisenhower Executive Office Building, which is the building right next to the White House, Mm -hmm. which is actually where most of the staff works. The White House offices are tiny and usually windowless. Mm -hmm. Um, You can say you work in the West Wing or the East Wing, but like your office is usually... It's very small and doesn't have a window. Uh, in the EEOB, it's this grand, amazing building that is beautiful inside and outside. So that's where I worked. Going in for the interview, I was nervous. I'd never even been in there. And there's not like a guide to tell you where to go, Yeah. right? So like you show up for your interview and it's like you're in room 132 and you go through the security, the metal detectors, you go through the whole thing. And then you walk in the building and it's like, ah. but there's like, there's no one there to be like, Can I help you? Where are you trying to go? You just have to figure it out. That's like, we always joke that was the first test of your interview at the White House. It's like, can you find They're watching you, yeah. (laughs) But on my very first day, uh, I was so nervous. We worked on the first floor. So we had this beautiful office with these massive windows. They actually had balconies, and it was amazing. And I get my desk, and I was so nervous. And at this point, I didn't even know where the bathroom was, but I knew I was going to (laughs) puke. I was so nervous. So I'm like running down the hall to the only bathroom I knew where it was to throw (laughs) Oh my oh. god. Even though there's one that was literally around the corner, I just <laughs> didn't know that yet. Yeah, I definitely threw up on my first day working oh in the White my gosh.
0: House. But I feel like once you get that out of your system, then okay, now I can handle it. Literally. Got it literally out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, working in the White House, working in the federal government, and now you're working for the city of Pittsburgh and this role that I think was sort of defined by your predecessor that you know, he he occupied it for a long for a long time and you know, became really synonymous with sort of the face of the city in a lot of ways. So, I mean, taking, you know, the baton from someone who's been in city government for a long time and, you know, in this role that maybe a lot of people don't really understand exactly what you do, right? So maybe you could talk a little bit about, you know, why this role appealed to you and kind of what the day-to-day is like, if there is such a thing as like a typical day, you know, in the city of Pittsburgh government that is so many nooks and crannies and different departments overlapping and, but just interested how you how you came to this, like why this was a, an appealing position, and, and, and what that day to day is like. You know, sure. What the is like.
2: So the role was is, was appealing to me. It still is appealing. I'm having a great time. I think it's wonderful, and I'm learning so much. But um, I love operations logistics. I love figuring out how to make things more efficient, more effective, more equitable. Um, when it comes to actual like day to day, I think it's like that is my wheelhouse. That is what I like doing. So this job was incredibly appealing to me to. Think about all of the things you can do to help impact the city uh, and make it more make some of the city services more efe- efficient or effective for the residents here. Um, so it was very appealing to me. I didn't know Guy Costa before I started this job, he, and he is a legend. When I took the job, I definitely got a lot of texts and emails from people being like, oh, my gosh, you just replaced a local yeah. legend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, of course, Ned. Now, no guy Costa. Love him. Um. Still call on him for advice. Um. But you know, I think it's a little bit different. And I've always said, I'm. I am no guy Costa. I didn't grow up here. Um. You know, I don't have a high school friend I can call who knows somebody who knows somebody who yeah, can get something yeah. done. I don't. I don't know anyone. Um. And so it's very. Di- I think. For me, the role is very different. Um, but what I do bring is a bit of an outside perspective. Yeah, I love bureaucracy. I think I'm just a bureaucrat at heart. So working in government is like, it is my jam. I love it. Um, I love public service. Um, you know, it's why we do this is to help um, impact the lives of the people who live here. So, you know, from my perspective, it was how do I... Make things run more efficiently and effectively, and how do I bring an outside perspective of some things that I've done before to help maybe you know think differently about how we've been doing things?
1: Yeah. So it's winter, right? And that's yeah. a big thing under your belt, right? Of how does Pittsburgh handle winter, <laughs> exactly. in particular on these very cold <laughs> days, right, where we're dealing with either potholes or snow or ice or landslides? Landslides. <laughs> uh, so what has that been like? Because that, of course, has been that's a sticking point of sorts here in this yeah. region of how People we handle critical this or winter very, yeah. weather. Because yeah. it really affects
0: them directly mm-hmm. one-on-one oh, if yeah. their street's not plowed or if it's not salted. Like that's, you know, the snow plow tracker can only do so much, yeah. right? To it's switch. new though, right? They yeah. updated it. They yeah, updated yeah, the yeah. snow. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> well, so I will say I grew up in Montana, which oh, is winter wow. like eight, nine months a year. It right. started snowing in September this year. <laughs> um, and so I was like, snow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Like, I grew up with this. Yeah. Um, but you realize, I grew up in Helena, Montana, mm-hmm. a tiny town. Um, and even my husband, at some point, over the holidays a couple years ago, like, they didn't plow because it was the ho- it was Christmas. Like, obviously, you don't plow on Christmas in Montana. And he was like, oh, my gosh. In no. Pittsburgh, the mayor would be run out of town. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. right. But in Montana, we're just sort of used to it. Like, yeah. it's like, yeah. of course, it feels like you're driving on a dirt road. There's like three feet of snow on the ground. Yeah. Um. That is not the case here. And to be honest the streets here are like goat paths that we've paved over. Yeah. <laughs> and there a lot are of some are. steep, steep hills. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, Especially yeah. out here in Beachview. Oh my gosh. So I always joke that because we just moved from San Francisco, that the topography of San Francisco and Pittsburgh is very similar. Mm-hmm. But San Francisco just put a grid on top of all of the hills mm-hmm. because they don't have snow. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. You can just drive straight up them sure, all the time. No here, problem. you could never do that. 90% of the roads would be impassable. In right. Winter. Right. So – Yes. Snow is a big deal here. I love snow. I've been told it will only take one season in, uh, in this job for me to hate snow. Um, I think that the weather is trying to break me in easy because we've really only had yeah, this one one hasn't been too event thin. this yeah. year so far. Yeah, um, But I will tell you, I, it's fascinating. So there's a couple of things that I find really interesting. There's new t- right. We're putting new technology into systems that have been going on for years and years, right? Um, it Previously, you had a driver and a laborer sitting in the truck. The laborer Mm -hmm. had like the street map of where they were supposed to go and told the driver where to turn as they were going down the road. We don't do that anymore. We now have technology. So there is a tablet in each of the trucks that tells them what their route is. Mm -hmm. And that also, because there's a GPS on the truck, connects to our public snowplow tracker. So you can watch when the trucks have been driving around your street. I will say it's new technology and we're putting new technology on old equipment. It's not like our Public Works fleet is you know, right. all brand new all twenty twenty trucks here, <laughs> right. yeah. um, and it break. It does break. They do. Um, it's a. It's complicated equipment. There's a lot of mechanical issues, electrical issues. Um, the plat- The actual tracker. The modems work pretty well. Occasionally, you will see a modem just break at some point in the snowstorm. It's so on the. Snowplow tracker. I think it was actually in Beachview this last snowstorm. To be honest, that like the modem and the truck went down, so it looked like no one had been out here. When the case was actually like, yes, the truck had come. It's just its modem had crashed. So there are definitely some issues, mm-hmm. but it does work pretty well. Yeah, and it's um, cool to watch. Yeah. it's very cool yeah. to watch. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. it's interesting,
1: interesting to see where technology is now really supporting local government, uh, especially on these very you know, to as our points earlier, very human centered needs, right? Plowing, uh, you know, and other, and probably trash pickup, and and several other kind of interactions that folks would have with local government. Absolutely, and tra- trash pickup, I could talk about all day. Oh, <laughs> there actually is
2: a good, great technology in our trash uh, pickup. When I when we talk about the cans that you see on the sidewalks, right? Um, they're called Victor Stanley. They have a sensor in them. Oh. And, uh, I have a back end that all of us do that we can look at that tells you which cans are empty, which ones are like 50% full, which ones are 80% full. So that it's like – I'm of, like
0: actually legitimately impressed by the like, that. I had no idea <laughs> yeah. that trash cans were so technologically – oh, I'm not so, even yeah. joking. Like It's that's so what,
2: cool. That's I mean the point is instead of going down the street and just stopping at every single trash can to empty it, even if there's only like three things in it. Then you know. You can actually yeah. just look pull up the map look at which ones are overflowing or 80% full mm-hmm. and stop at hit all of those yeah it's much more
1: efficient than it is to just go down the street and literally look in every single can so which units fall under your leadership because we've talked about and I'm not even sure where it falls under snow snow pickup plowing. Right? Is that public works? Mm-hmm. It I is suppose, works, yeah. Yes. And I would say trash pickup would probably also be public, also works. public works. So what else is under under
2: your leadership? So public works, which has a number of of uh, different components, as you mentioned, it, public works has snow plow. It's The streets division that handles that, but they they also handle uh, trash pickup. So not just the litter cans that are on the you know the busy commercial districts, but your actual day to day trash that you put out. On the curbside, environmental services take care takes care of that. That's under public works. Also, the parks. Um, so the maintenance of the parks falls under public works, uh, which is a misnomer because I also under me is parks and rec, which you would think is parks. It's actually the programming that happens yeah. in the parks. Right. So the rec centers, the senior center, or healthy active living centers, um, all of that fall, falls under parks and rec. All the pools, they manage all of that. Um, plus all the facilities, right? All the government buildings. That's also in public works. So public works is huge. Mm -hmm. So I have public works, Parks and Rec, and then uh, the Department of Mobility and Infrastructure, DOMI, which is, um, you know, Based everything from landslides to the stoplights to yeah. you know, the curb cuts and the bike lanes. <laughs> sidewalks. Oh, bike lanes. And of course Day bike lanes. <laughs> Multimodal. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh.
1: So as you're listing those four kind of buckets, what, what you that you oversee. So it's predominantly, I think, a male oh yeah. Male space, Not right? I mention I also work with P W S A and the parking ah, thing. Oh, yeah. Fairly male so dominated And you are the first woman in your role, right? As far as I know so how how are you navigating that, especially as you know joining us today, really looking to highlight women doing awesome things in their careers and their personal lives out in our in our broader community? How are you managing that uh, really the inner workings of of government that has sadly been a very male dominated space in this in this region? sure I think um
2: you know the mayor's office is very diverse um I have a lot of wonderful colleagues and um, there are a lot of ladies in the mayor's office, but you are right. At most of the meetings I sit in, I am, I, and I notice, cause I just came from an all lady org. So now I really notice yeah. when I'm yeah. the only lady in the room.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, I wear a lot of bright colors just to be like, yep, I'm <laughs> still here and I'm going to talk. <laughs> um, so, awesome. it, you know, it, I'm used to it, I guess, is is probably not a great thing, but I am. Uh, when I worked at the Department of Homeland Security, it is also predominantly male, Um, I, we had a female secretary, but I, you know, I traveled and the people I traveled with were secret service agents. And then I also worked with my counterparts from customs and border patrol or from ice, mostly male. Um, so I was often the only woman in the room. Um, so I'm, I'm used to it. It's also, you know, you learn to how, how to talk so that people can hear you. Um, and I think that's something that is really important, particularly when you know you're the only lady in the room. Well, um, and
0: particularly when, like you say, you're someone who's not, you know, you know, a native steeped in Pittsburgh, you know, background. I think mm-hmm. that was something when I first came to Pittsburgh that I found almost harder to negotiate in a lot of ways than being kind of the only woman in the room. And sometimes that, that, you know, the classic question of where to go to high school gets, you know, brought up a lot, That that's <laughs> one that just baffled me when I first moved here. So, so, you know, I think the mayor is someone who has, Work to put people in his administration who aren't you know the local crowd all the time, like he does have it seems like it's a more inviting you know sort of big tent um and so but I wonder if you know have you found the i 'm an outsider you know or i'm not a native has that been an obstacle or has that been something that you've had to really sort of consider you know differently than maybe someone who's you know like you said could call up their high school friend or call up their you know Someone who knows someone, like you don't necessarily have that network, has that been a challenge in the role that you're in now, or you just sort of figure out ways to overcome it?
2: I don't think so. I, yeah, Pittsburghers are very welcoming. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the second you say, like, I'm not from here, they're like, oh, where are you from? i yeah, <laughs> yeah. so glad you moved here. Yeah, yeah, you know, like, true. why did you come here? Yeah, I, I married into Pittsburgh. Yeah, I did as well. Um, yeah. Same. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I have not found that to be challenging, actually. Yeah, I, I think that awesome. Pittsburghers are very welcoming. Mm-hmm. Um And, you know, they will – they will – happily give you a lot of history. And it's often They'll always like, give you directions, what, too. Wh- turn left next right. to the golf Station. Right, yes. but they <laughs> yeah. don't tell you that right. the golf Station to be there. down right. 20 yeah. years ago. Directions <laughs> of things yeah. that used
0: to be there 20 years ago. And Babyland so is not
2: even there. Yeah. Anymore. Oh, right. my yeah. God. That was gotcha. the number one direction I got. Turn left at <laughs> Babyland. Where's
0: Babyland? It's gone. And yes. now it's
2: actually gone. Yes, right. So, yes. yeah. It's not actual
0: land of babies. That's so funny.
2: I would love to, and I think we talked about this a little bit, but what does your actual day look like, right? So like Monday morning, you open the, is there a landslide today? How full are the garbages? And then what does it look like? Sure. So, I mean, there is no real typical day. Um, I, I do spend a lot of time in meetings. And this is what I learned the first couple of months. And a part of that is because it is a steep learning curve for me. I'm not from here. I have not worked in the city. It's a whole new acronym soup that I'm trying to learn. Plus how these departments operate, what's their culture, how, you know, how, how what are they, what are their goals? How are we measuring things? Like all of that was very, it's very new to me because I haven't worked in this for the city for 20 years. So I'm learning a lot. It's, it is, I mean, to use the cliche, I'm really drinking from a fire hose. Um, and when I realized all I was doing is sitting in meetings, I was like, no, we're done with that. Um, so now on Friday, I always try to get out into the field so that, you know, I got to ride along with the, our environmental services one day and pick up recycling for a full shift, um, oh, which I was exhausted I was and say. definitely got my steps in. That was like at least a yeah, eight long mile end. path that we did in our route in Stanton Heights. Um, you know, whether it's going to the street, streets divisions and, you know, talking to the folks that are there, I got an assault truck the other morning really early. Um, and so, you know, it, I like to be out and actually it it's, It's better for me to learn how things are happening when they're happening in the field than it is to learn about them sitting behind my desk. So I hate being behind my desk. I'd much rather be out in the field learning from the folks that are actually doing the work how things are going.
0: And I was going to say, I would think that people in the field appreciate that, that you're not just someone who's, you know, calling them on the phone from behind your desk, that you're actually out there trying to figure out what their jobs are like. I feel like that's a really good way to There
2: are a lot of landslides here, so, (laughs) you know, surprisingly... Nicely the, you know, we call him the landslide guy. Tommy mm-hmm. gave me a tour of all of the landslides in town and the walls that they're building. And so now I understand sort of the impact that these things have when they occur, I you know, and what needs to happen after the landslides and how we fix it and how much it costs. And so.
0: I don't know that I've ever met anyone as excited yeah. about, like, bureaucratic city government. Like, that's, seriously, like, I'm fancy. like, this is really getting me interested yeah. in a topic mm-hmm. that most people are like, Yeah, yeah, politicians, bureaucracy. But <laughs> I feel like she's, like, the perfect person for yeah. this job, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, – Tell us what, like, what's on your to-do list? Like, the winter, obviously, you kind of get preoccupied by a lot of sort of natural (laughs) situations, landslides, snow, ice, et cetera. But, like, what's kind of on your agenda of things you really want to accomplish while you're in this role? Like, if you had something that – you know, by the time I leave this job, I want to have accomplished X and Y. What would the, what would that look like?
2: So, I mean, my overall, what I want to do is make things more effective, mm-hmm. more efficient, and more equitable. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to do. I think we do a lot of things really well. Um, and I think there are always improvements that we can make. There's a lot of opportunity um, to make things run more efficiently and more effectively and more equitably. Um, And so part of that is, you know, there are folks that are doing it every day. Maybe they have a brilliant idea about how we could do something better. We should, you know, pull that out and figure out how we do it and implement it. Um, So those are the big things that I want to do overall. Um, you can dig into each of the departments that I'm working with, and there's lots of things that you know they're working on um, that I think that we can probably give them some extra juice. Are there priorities that we're not hitting? Um, obviously, you know my job is to execute on the mayor's priorities and part of that is the snowfla tracker, right like let's get that thing actually working like 100 um, percent. It's working pretty well. it's very cool, but um, but let's let's make it run more efficiently. Uh, there's tons of data we can gather from it um, and that will help drive decisions of how we make things um run more efficiently
0: that's inspiring like I, I was like not sure what to expect <laughs> i was like all right it's for the
1: city we'll see i think I'll we'll have to take. have you back after a year or two in the after job a
2: full <laughs> winter
1: and, yeah yeah and a full yeah. winter and even a full spring and summer with all the rain
0: oh yeah with all of
1: that because that comes to, back mm-hmm. to the landslides in a different way right mm-hmm. Flatting, yeah. and and really see what the the full first year or two has been like and
0: yeah. The What's first next year, on your list? The first year I was here, the thing, the buzzword I kept hearing I didn't understand was the Mon Wharf is closed. Oh Why God. do we oh, have parking yeah. on a wharf on the river? And now it's just become like, yeah, okay, it happens. It this is Pittsburgh. Lot. It's part of yeah. the deal. Yeah.
2: We, we clean it. It floods. We clean it. Right. <laughs> right. The cycle. Ongoing.
0: So, Kinsey Casey, thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Thank you for coming coming having me. Yeah, so, so interesting. Fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. For, and we, definitely we'll have to have you back after you've done a full cycle of all four seasons to say, okay, Yes. Winter, I can handle it. I got it. So
1: you may, have, you may have a favorite season. You may have a least favorite season. Yeah, uh, we'll, I'll be curious. Yeah, I want to see what it is. I'm just happy to have seasons yeah. again. We were in yeah. San Francisco yeah. for so long. Yeah.
2: There are no
0: seasons oh, there. No shortage here. Yeah. So, well, thanks very much. It was great having you on. Thanks Thank for you. joining thanks us.
1: For the Broadcast Podcast is proud to be a member of the Sorgatron Media family.